Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is the UK Money Podcast. On this podcast, as the name might suggest, I talk about all things to do with money. So that's investments, different ways you can structure your finances, financial planning type topics, basically helping you use your money as a tool to live the life you want. That's kind of my catchphrase because at the end of the day, um, that is the reason why we all want to be better, better with money. We all want to have more money is so that we can have some freedom or the freedom to do what we want to do with our time, to live the life we want, to look after ourselves and our family as best we can. So I cover a lot of different topics on this podcast. Um, investments is a really big one, um, but I also talk about broader kind of tax planning type um, issues, uh, objective setting, budgeting, cash flow all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm a financial planner. I provide financial advice to two clients every single day, but this isn't financial advice in this podcast, so just keep that in mind. Now, on today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking through what's known as alternative assets. And if you've ever had a, a decent look at your uh, statement from your pension provider or your ISA provider or something like that. If you have a like a multi-asset fund where you've not gone in and picked all the individual um, investments yourself, um, you might have seen an asset class called alternatives, which doesn't really give much away um, as to what is held within that little uh, portion of the pie that you've got. So in today's episode, I'm going to be explaining basically what what is considered an alternative asset. Um, and some of the examples um, as to how that allocation within your portfolio may be invested. Now, it's a really wide asset class, so I'm not gonna be able to cover everything that falls under the the banner of alternatives, but I'm gonna go through what are really the, the main ones and what is likely to make up the majority of your alternative holdings if you've got that in your portfolio. Now, um, I... Just wanted to give a, a quick plug to the YouTube channel. Um, what I'm going to do is uh, there is a, a link in the in the show notes if you want to go and check that out. I have been putting all of the videos from this podcast up on YouTube, um, but I have also been adding some additional videos as well. So more like your typical YouTube videos, not as long as the podcast. Um, that just kind of cover some some uh, some other financial topics in, um, I guess, a bit more of a succinct manner. Um, YouTube doesn't allow you as much time to ramble as I do on the podcast sometimes, so um, it doesn't take a second to jump on your jump on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. I'd really appreciate your support, and you'll be able to get a lot of extra um, um, bits of information and, and benefit from from the channel as well. So it'd be great if you could jump over there and have a look. And as always, if you've got financial questions or any questions really, you can ask me what's going to happen on the football on the weekend, probably won't be able to tell you, but um, if you have any questions that you would like to ask me, um, drop me a voice message. Again, hit down into the show notes of your podcast app. The very bottom, scroll down to the very bottom, it says leave a voice message. If you click on that, it doesn't take a minute. You've just got to um, basically record me a message, drop your name and email address in there, and then that gets sent through to me and I can play that on the podcast. So that is the best way to get in touch with me if you've got a financial question or any question that you'd like me to answer on the podcast. So today's topic, alternative assets. Now, as the name kind of suggests, alternative assets are a an umbrella term for anything that kind of falls outside the mainstream. So just to quickly recap, what is considered a mainstream investment asset? Well, I mentioned before about the pie chart that you might have seen on your on your pension statement on your on, or on your ISA statement or something like that. And the main components of that statement are going to be, or that portfolio, are going to be equities. So the share market, 
you probably understand how that works. There's lots of information on previous podcast episodes about the share market. That's going to make up a, a pretty decent chunk of what's in your portfolio. You're then going to have um, fixed interest or fixed income, which is like bonds and gilts, could be government bonds, corporate bonds, mixture, um, which is basically debt instruments or, or investing or uh, you know lending money to, to companies or to organizations. You get a set return back. Um, and that makes up, again, a really large portion of, of the majority of investment portfolios out there. Um, you then will probably have a little bit of cash. You may have a property section. Now, property is not what you would probably typically think of as like buy to let property and that sort of thing. It tends to be property funds that invest in um very large developments like shopping centers, like commercial warehouses, things like that. But those really are the, the four main areas that you probably see that make up the bulk of your portfolio. Equities, property, fixed interest, and cash. And as I said, there is often a little sliver. It's not usually a very big part of a portfolio, um, but it, it does often tend to be there, which is classed as alternative assets. Now, effectively, really, the definition of an alternative asset is anything that doesn't fall into one of those other categories. So by, by definition, there is a huge number of assets that could potentially fall into this category. So to go through a, a few different examples um, of alternative assets, the first one that comes to mind is um, what are traditionally called hedge funds. And a hedge fund is a it is a, a managed fund, really. It's like a, a mutual fund, a managed fund, very similar to how you would see, you know, the equity funds or the bond funds that you have in your portfolio. The main difference with a hedge fund. Um, and the reason why it falls into an alternative asset is that generally um, most funds like equity funds or, or fixed interest funds can take mainly take what's called a long-only position. So they effectively are investing in things that they think are going to go up in value. So it's very straightforward. You know, it's very easy to understand. Um, it's generally not very complex. I mean, it is complex, but um, it's quite straightforward in, in the mechanisms of how it works. They effectively buy assets that they think are going to go up in value. When you're talking about a hedge fund, um, they are, again, it's a very large catch-all term. They can invest in all sorts of different um, asset classes, market sectors. But really, one of the key differences is that they don't only go long. They also go what's called short. So when you go short on something, I'm not going to go into the, the real detail of how it works because it is really complicated and it doesn't you don't really need to understand that. But effectively, they can um, use what's known as derivatives, options contracts, futures contracts, things like that, to basically make a bet that prices are going to go down. So it's a reason why hedge funds are sometimes called long short funds because they can theoretically make money when the price of something is going up and also make money when the price of something is going down. So it gives them potentially some more flexibility as to how they um, generate a return for their investors. Now, the downside of investing that way is that all of those contracts, options, futures, warrants, all of those underlying um, technical fancy things that they do with your money costs money. So, you know, when you buy an option or a contract, there's a fee for that. So because there's so many layers to the way that they invest, the costs of these long short funds or these hedge funds are often really quite high, like potentially eye-wateringly high, like three or four percent sometimes. They are also um, oops, they are also at the very kind of 
um, because they are quite niche, they often will have a performance fee built in as well. So sometimes it would be, you know, they will, they will give you the benchmark that they are aiming to outperform. And if they outperform that by a certain uh, amount, they then start to take some of the return. So they are kind of, um, uh, they're like, Managed funds, investment funds taken to the extreme, basically. And that's the main reason why they, they tend to make up a pretty small portion of, of a portfolio because they are expensive um, and they do tend to be really quite volatile. You know, these are those are the kind of funds that could provide you with a 50% return one year and then could lose 50%, 100, well, not 100%, but, you know, 60% the next year. So they can be really, really volatile. The... Next asset that is uh, quite common in uh, the alternative asset space is private equity. Now, private equity actually has a lot in common with with regular equity, with shares. Um, and if you think about what happens when you're buying a, a share in a in a listed company, you're just buying um, you're just buying those shares on the stock market, and you obviously the fund who buys that, or if you buy it yourself, you're becoming an owner, part owner of that company. Private equity is in a lot of ways exactly the same. You know, when a fund purchases um, a percentage of a business, they are becoming a part owner of that business. The key difference and the reason why it's considered an alternative and and higher risk is because there's much lower levels of liquidity. Um, Because that, that company that they're buying into isn't listed on a stock market. So let's let's uh, look at an example. So let's look at um, like a hardware store. I don't know, a bit random, but let's look at a think of a hardware store, right? So if you had a hardware store, B and Q, I actually don't know if B and Q is listed on the stock market, but let's assume that they are. If a, a, you got a huge um, hardware store chain like B and Q, um, you could. Uh, the, the, the fund could invest in B&Q shares, take a long position in B&Q shares. If they decided they want to get rid of them, they would just sell them. Easy done, sell them on the stock market. Even if the price is going down a bit, you'll find a buyer because it's a big liquid company and you can get rid of that position nice and quickly. Private equity, on the other hand, maybe you have a smaller hardware store, like, I don't know, let's say Jason's Hardware, right? And let's say that Jason's Hardware has got like 10 stores, um, doing pretty well, turnovers a few million quid a year, but it's not really big enough to be listed on the stock market. What can often happen is you can get a fund, like a, a big investment fund, private equity fund that comes in and says to me, look, Jason, you've been working really hard on this business. Um, I know you probably want to release some equity from it, release some cash from it, um, so you can go and buy uh, a private jet and a yacht and, and uh, enjoy some of the fruits of your labor. So that private equity fund would potentially come to me and say, Jason, we want to buy 30% of your hardware chain um, and we're going to pay you whatever amount for that. Now, I agree to that. They then own 30% of my hardware chain. Now, that is still a similar investment to B&Q in a lot of ways. It's a hardware chain. Um, the customer base is probably going to be quite similar. The profit margins are probably going to be quite similar. The way that that business operates, the way that it uh, generates a profit is going to be very similar to B&Q. The difference, the key difference is that if that equity fund, if that managed fund, investment fund wanted to sell my 30, that 30% they bought from me, it's going to be much more difficult for them to offload that simply because they can't just dump it on the stock market and, and people buy it that way. You know, they have to, they would have to go out and source a buyer. So either they would have to look at look at listing the company as a whole and try and convince me to do that, or they would have to go and find somebody else who's prepared to buy that 30% off them. 
And you can imagine that, you know, if you're talking about um, buying 30% of a 50 million pound business or a 20 million pound business, the the pool of people or funds out there who are potentially in the market to buy something like that is quite small. So it doesn't mean that there's inherently more risk in private equity from a can I lose all my money perspective, but there is more risk in a um, in a liquidity perspective. So again, that's often why private equity will sit as an alternative asset, and it's the reason why again it tends to make up a pretty small portfolio uh, percentage of the portfolio because you don't want a huge amount of your your assets tied up in things you can't sell easily. Moving on to the um, well, the next one actually uh, can sometimes fit under the property section. It depends how the fund is structured. It depends how the company have decided to report it. But it's what's called infrastructure. Um, and the infrastructure ha- is essentially, it's like property kind of. It's like real assets, but it's not um, It's not like commercial property, residential property, that sort of thing. It tends to be things like Bridges, toll roads, um, I think like electricity grids, things that are, are real. They're in the ground. People use them, um, but they uh, but they they aren't like a traditional property investment. Infrastructure makes money in a lot of ways. Um, I like to use the example of a toll road. That's probably the most straightforward one to explain. You can imagine that you know a toll road obviously charges people to use that road, um, and therefore that provides a return back to the investors. So it's a pretty straightforward one. That one. Um, the again the the. Well, the income can be quite steady for infrastructure. So if you've got a toll road, for example, you have some pretty solid information as to how many people on average use that toll road and what the level of income is going to be. Um, the main the main risk you get with infrastructure is again the illiquidity. So if you want to offload a bridge that costs forty million quid, um, there's not many people who are out there in the market for a bridge. So uh, that that again is the reason why it sits in the the alternative asset space. And you're picking up a pattern here is that illiquidity is one of the key um, reasons why something is high risk and why the key reasons why it often will sit um, under the alternative assets banner. The next one is um, is an interesting one because it's probably the the alternative asset that gets the the most attention, I suppose. Um, and it, well, the the broad category is commodities, and commodities are um, what would be the way you put it. Probably the way that you would kind of um, define a commodity is something that you, you pull out of the ground, really. So a commodity can be things like coffee beans, uh, actually not pull out of the ground, because it can also be things like sheep's wool, um, hessian bags, um, lace, cotton, like all sorts of stuff, but kind of like farming and mining type type things. Oil and gas is a commodity. Um, and one of the... Um, I guess key features of a commodity is that they are. It is very um, uh, one is exactly the same as as the other. So you know, wool of the same grade that was that was sh- um, shorn in Australia is going to be the same as wool that was was shorn in in Wales, for example. So commodities are interchangeable. Um, they are they are real and they are something that is that is widely used all over the world. Coffee, soybeans, anything like that. Um, but the really big ones, the most common ones and the most popular ones are, well, oil and gas, oil, we hear about the oil price a lot, um, but gold and silver um, from an investment perspective 
are often the one of the, the, the big asset or big alternative asset classes that people that will come to mind for people when they're thinking of this. So um, very rare. Um, gold, gold and silver investment is, is, is kind of the most popular um, commodity, I suppose. And it's not just physical physical metals. There's also a lot of ETFs that are based on, that use various sort of, again, derivatives, contracts, options to kind of simulate or, or track the gold price. You can obviously have some funds that buy physical gold, pretty rare. There are funds potentially in a portfolio that, that um, invest in oil and gas um, commodities. But generally speaking, again, it is quite a, um, a very specific type of investment. You might have it in that alternative section, but it is pretty uncommon. And the last one I'm going to cover today um, is what's known as alternative credit. So alternative credit, again, is a really big catch-all term for any any debt or credit instrument that doesn't fall within like your normal bond um, kind of structure. So if you think about uh, we've talked about bonds in the past or, or, or guilt, things like that, is effectively a company or an organization borrowing money to fund whatever they want to fund. Um, and usually that's over quite a long time uh, time period, especially if you're talking like government guilt. It's often 10 years plus. Um, interest rates tend to be quite low because the risk is quite low. Um, a, lot of that, a lot of the time it's backed by um, physical assets or in the case of UK gilt or US treasuries, it's, it's backed by the central government. So central bank, sorry. Um, so the difference with alternative credit is there's lots of different investment funds uh, or investment companies that have kind of carved out different areas of the market where people need access to credit, but it's not available from a mainstream lender. So a couple of examples of that. So uh, bridging finance is one example. So let's say you are quite keen on property investment. You find a block of flats or a, a house or a duplex or something semi-detached, that is run down uh, and, and in, in disrepair, you might want to buy that property, spend some money on it, on fixing it up and sell it quite quickly. Now, the issue you have is because that property is quite dilapidated, it's not in a good state, a traditional lender isn't necessarily going to lend you the amount of money you need to do all of that work. They're going to value it based on how it is now, not how you expect it, what it's expected to be valued at um, once all the work is done. So there are companies out there who provide what's known as bridging finance, um, which is generally for short amounts of time, so maybe three or six months, um, and generally really high interest rates. And the idea is that you you only do that when you're doing some construction or some renovation or that sort of thing. So um, the the lenders that offer that are prepared to offer you more money based on what they think the property is going to be worth, but obviously they have a lot more risk that they're taking on there because potentially you know, you might do a shit job with the renovation. There might be things that are uh, discovered during construction, like damp problems or problems with foundations and stuff. And there's a lot that can go wrong in that process, which means the risk of you not achieving that valuation um, are significant to to the to the lender. So that's one example example of alternative credit. There are loads of different examples. So another one is like invoicing finance. So for example, if you've got a if you've got a small business, um, cash flow is often a, a really big issue for small businesses. So you know if you do a bunch of work for somebody, maybe you've got a big client, you've done ten grand's worth of work for them, they may not be 
um, due to pay you for like 60 days after that. You know, it's quite common for you to deliver on a project and then not get paid for, you know, a month, two months, even three months sometimes after you've done that work. Now, as a small business, that, you know, over those two or three months, you've still got to pay your rent, you've still got to pay your staff, you've still got to pay yourself. And this, again, is an area where these invoicing finance companies generally can fit in. So they will say, look, we will will, uh, extend you credit based on the invoices that you've completed. And then once you uh, paid for those invoices in two or three months, you pay us back and we will charge you a fee for that. So again, you know, interest rates are generally quite high because they're not, you know, they're not backed by anything. Hypothetically, those invoices may never get paid. Um, but uh, again, it provides a source of credit to the person who needs it. They charge an interest rate and investors can invest in those companies. So, you know, again, uh, and there's loads of different other examples, but that again is an area of, of, of an alternative asset that sometimes will fit into that into that bucket on your statement. So that's kind of a, a few examples there of the different kinds of alternative assets that you can you can invest in. As I said, there are loads more out there and effectively anything that, if anything that doesn't fit into the mainstream asset classes of equities, bonds, cash or property is going to be classed as a as an alternative asset. And there's always new ones coming out. You know, you can imagine, you know, the way that those bankers work in the city and in the on Wall Street, they're always looking for new um, new investments to offer clients. Um, you know, really big one at the moment is cryptocurrency as well, right? I mean, um, JP Morgan, I think, uh, are working on a cryptocurrency fund, I believe Goldman Sachs as well. So, you know, that again is an alternative asset. It's unregulated, so it's very alternative. Um, But anything kind of new out there that can be be packaged up and sold to investors to make a profit with the company taking fees in the middle, um, there's always always new, new ones coming up. So it's a a space that's always changing. What are some of the benefits of alternative assets? So um, really, it comes down to providing some additional diversification. So uh, stock markets tend to operate over longer periods of time, um, kind of in step with each other. So broadly speaking, if the Western economies like the US, the UK, Australia are um, performing quite well, if the stock markets are doing well, um, and the world is kind of uh, in a good place generally, those markets will kind of march in step really. Not necessarily over the short term. Last year was a really good example of that. Um, US market was up like 16%. UK market was down like 14%, something like that. But you know, broadly speaking, markets, uh, especially uh, UK and Australia and Canada, often tend to follow what's happening in the US. So alternative assets can be quite uncorrelated from equity returns. So it means that you know, when using the easy example of the long short funds, you know, if, if a hedge fund has gone short and they've done it really well, they could potentially be making money when everything else is falling. So that gives you a lot of options for additional diversification. The other benefit is, you know, like everything, the alternative asset space follows the risk versus return uh, trade-off principle. So, you know, I've mentioned a few times now that alternative assets are higher risk. You know, they are often illiquid. Um, they do invest in, in areas of the market that are, that are uh, less stable. And effectively, that means that over the long term, your returns may be quite a bit worse than what you get from mainstream assets. 
but they also might be quite quite significantly higher. Um, and you know, again, using the really extreme example of like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, we can we've seen over the last few years how massive the swings of those assets can be. You know, as uh, Bitcoin has gone up thousands of percent, but it's also fell you know eighty five percent during in one year. So those swings are massive. But it can mean that in, in good times, you can make significantly higher returns than what you get from, from more mainstream assets. The other benefit to, um, to alternative assets is that they, they can be really good as an inflation hedge. So, you know, uh, if you think about the kinds of things that, that are often included in alternative assets, you know, they naturally, uh, they naturally increase with, well, not naturally, all the time, but often will increase in, in line with inflation. So, for example, you know, infrastructure, if we go back to our toll road or our bridge, the, the, the toll that is charged on that bridge is likely to just naturally be increased each year with the cost of inflation. People expect that. It's a normal part of how that asset works. So, it's going to be improving or increasing with inflation. Um, if you look at things like the credit, so the alternative credit, for example, you know, that alternative credit, the interest rates that are being charged on that are based on interest rates, which is linked to inflation. So if inflation is starting to run away, if it's getting quite high, central banks are likely to increase interest rates, which means interest rates on this alternative credit will increase. Same with commodities like gold and silver. Um, you know, again, the, the they are often very inherently linked with uh, inflation and often gold especially acts as a hedge because if inflation is higher, people really start to run towards gold as a bit of a safe haven. So um, that, again, can be one of the benefits of alternative assets. Now, the risks, the downsides, I've kind of covered really, but, you know, effectively, the risks of alternative assets are that they are higher risk. So there are a lot Generally, the market is a lot less liquid than mainstream assets, so there's a lot less buyers for your assets if you want to offload them. Um, there's also a lot more that can potentially go wrong. So, you know, if you have a diversified equity fund um, that invests in the FTSE 100, for example, um, it's basically impossible for you to lose all your money. Actually, that is my that is my recent video on YouTube. Can I lose all my money by investing? So check that out because I explain that you know if you invest. Properly, if you have a diversified portfolio that invests in hundreds of different thousands of different companies, you basically can't lose all your money over the long term. Um, that's not the case with a lot of alternative assets. Um, you know, and not necessarily lose all your money, but you know, if you think about alternative credit, let's use that one as an example. You know, if if all of a sudden a lot of these businesses are struggling and not paying their invoices, you could have the credit company that is, has lent all the money. To the to, to the small business, the small business has then gone and spent that on his family's groceries and paying his staff and all that. And then when time comes to collect from from the business and and um, that, that he provided they provided the service to to then pay back the lender, that company may may have gone under or may not have the money to pay them back. So there's a lot more there's a lot higher risk of not getting your money back. Same with the bridging finance. Um, as I said before, you know that that development may not go as planned. There may not be the profit in it that, that you hear about um, builders and and uh, property development companies going under all the time because projects don't go to plan. Commodities, again, you know, we've seen the oil price collapse in the past. Um, there can be things like embargoes that cause big issues. Um, there's, there's a lot of macroeconomic factors, stuff that happens all over the world that can really impact the prices of these things in really quite a quick rate. 
quick way. You know, you can have the prices of commodities slashed like overnight, literally overnight. So there are a lot more risks in this space. Uh, therefore, there is a lot more potential returns. But, you know, there's a reason why it tends to make up a fairly small portion of your portfolio. It can add a little bit of extra return when times are good, but it can drag a little bit on the portfolio when times are bad. The other big downside, uh, and again, I have touched on this, is the costs are generally really quite high. You know, if you're comparing the costs for a commodity fund or a private equity fund or a hedge fund, long short hedge fund, they're going to be, you know, you're not talking like Vanguard levels of costs here. Um, you know, you're talking multiple percentage points of, of, of management costs. Um, in a lot of cases, you're also talking often a performance fee. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't want this asset class to make up a bulk of your portfolio because then your portfolio would be really, really expensive. So that is alternative assets in a nutshell. I've kind of explained there what the um, what the overall definition of an alternative asset is, which is basically anything that's not a mainstream asset. I've gone through a few examples. Examples we've talked about: long short hedge funds, infrastructure, private equity, commodities like gold and silver, cryptocurrency, and alternative credit, um, as well as some of the benefits and some of the risks that you are exposing yourself to if you've got some some holdings in these forms of assets. I hope that's been useful. If you have any questions, as I say, please drop down into the show notes there. Um, click on that leave a voice message button and ask me your questions. That could be anything. It could be a follow-up question for, from today's episode um, about infrastructure, private equity or something like that. It could be a question about your pension, a question about your ISA, um, a question about your career. You know, Maybe you're thinking of taking this paying job or this paying job with the potential for bonus or something and you're struggling with with your objective side of things maybe you've got questions about about cash flow planning retirement any questions you've got that you feel like i might be able to help you with then please drop me a line and lastly guys if you uh, wanted to leave me a review on your podcast app that would be a massive help um, if you're on apple drop me a five stars a couple of comments that would be brilliant um, thank you very much for your support thank you very much for listening to the podcast and i look forward to speaking to you again next week